0: All right, Westside, if you are using that pewback Bible, it's page 1124 in that Bible. 1 John chapter 4, we'll be in verse 10, but I'm going to start the reading from verse 7 this morning. When you get there, look up at me and say, He has come. All right, if you would, please, if you're able, stand for the reading of God's Word. Have your eyes on Scripture and follow along with us. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 through verse 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning again and Merry Christmas again. Um, We're continuing in our series, Why He Came. Uh, The cool thing about Westside is is, is we have visitors visit with us every week, and we have different sort of backgrounds and people who grew up in different um, church backgrounds and things like that. And so during the holiday season and Advent, some people have never even heard of that. And so we pause each time every year to celebrate Advent. And Advent, the word comes from the Latin word, which means the, the arrival or the coming of something significant. And so the whole church and the church calendar, and for thousands of years, the church has stopped this time of year to look back upon what God has done. And so we start our service different. Everything is different because it is now being shaped. Our service is being shaped around the story of Jesus Christ. And as we've been looking in 1 John, we've seen some significant statements that John has made about why Jesus came. What was the big deal about Jesus Christ coming to earth? And the first week that we looked at this, we say that Jesus came to, to take away our sin. And we said, man, that's not really as Christmassy and as fun as everybody thinks. But the great thing about these statements that we see in 1 John is John was an apostle and, and he walked with Jesus. And he was sort of Jesus in Jesus' posse and his crew, if you will, to use 2018 language. And so he has an insight as to why Jesus came. And the first thing he says is to take away sin. Then the second week we said that Jesus came to take out the enemy. And we said what was significant about God coming to earth, as one theologian said, is God came to take out the enemy on his own territory. So the second week was sort of like, I'm your Huckleberry at the OK Corral, if you will, right? And then we looked at that Jesus came to, to give us life last week. And then this week, we're, we're looking at the statement when John says, In this, the Father has sent the Son so that we might see how much that, that he's loved us. And so this idea and this topic of love, I think, is very 2018. Um, everybody loves the idea of love, and I think you'll see that we're in love with the idea of love. Um, but maybe this will help us as an introduction. The year was 1967. Many of you will remember this. The famous British mophead band was about to do something, the Beatles, that had never been done before. They were going to do what was known at the time a global television link and they were going to link up through many um, TV stations and be a broadcast to 400 million people in 25 countries, live. And they were going to premiere a brand new song that John and Paul had wrote. And the title of the song, anyone? All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love amidst Vietnam and everything that was taking place They thought that the message of love needed to be proclaimed simultaneously across multiple countries, the message of love. And Brian Epstein, who was the Beatles' manager at the time, said this, the great thing about this song is that it can't be misinterpreted. It is a clear message saying that loving is everything. The great thing about this song is that the message of love can't be misinterpreted, Eh, wrong, right, wrong, Um, just this week, check this out, um, I went to Amazon, typed in the word love, two million book suggestions came up about love, then I went to Google, and I have filters on Google, okay, to protect me from Googling love, all right, we'll talk about that in just a minute. 13,160,000,000 13 billion 160 million suggestions, by the way, in 0.66 seconds came up about love. And then songs on the Billboard top charts. 80% of all songs on the Billboard charts reference love and relationships. One guy who studied this from the University of Florida said, America is in love with love. War and peace may be of national concern any day as it was three decades ago, but no matter the era, the song of love and relationships always tends to dominate the charts. Love. I think we love the idea of love, But we are very confused about what that is. Some people, if you grew up with my background, um, sort of the fundamentalist background, my goal is to put fun back in fundamentalism. Okay, that's what I want to do. All right. And, And love is truth. Right? What's more loving than telling someone the truth, even if it's with a baseball bat in your hand, right? That's loving, right? That's loving. And then the, the, you know, the other side is love is whatever you feel. We want to encourage you, nothing negative, no criticism, no correction. What, what is love? And, and I think primarily there are three prominent views that we look at love. And, and you're going to fall in one of these categories whether you know it or not. The first view of love I would call sensual love. I don't think we have to explain that anymore. Sensual love says this, what can I get from you? And emotions are king in sensual love. So even with the joke of Googling love or looking at new books and the Fifty Shades of Grey or what Hollywood has taken to become love, it is always this sensual aspect of love. And the difference with that is, and the problem, the reason why if you build a relationship on that is primarily what you're always saying is, what can I get from you? That's why the issues of pornography and lust that are wreaking havoc on our culture, the reason why that is so contrary to what we'll see is that it keeps you sort of there at the center and your emotions and what you feel are king all the time. That's what dictates everything. That's the first view of love. The second view of love is what I'll call the selfish view of love. The selfish view of love says this, what can you do for me? And you are king of selfish love. And here's how selfish we are as human beings. We even try to love other people the way that we ourselves want to be loved, right? So like in the first part of our marriage with Courtney and I, you know, I would like buy her a pair of Air Jordans. I love you, babe. I love you, right? I love Air Jordans, okay, right? Okay, that's the problem. And one of the reasons that, that these things leak out in our relationships is, and most of the time, all the time, the frustration that takes place in relationships is, he doesn't listen and understand that when I come home and I do this, and what she doesn't realize is the reason why I'm gone all the time and working is that I'm working for our family, and she's telling me that I'm not around, but I'm not around because I love her, and I'm more, are we there? Am I on it yet? Are we there? And what you're doing is you're making people enter your worldview and argument first. And all I'm asking you to do is to understand me first, then we'll get to whatever problems you have, okay? And that is selfish. And then we build our lives and our friends and our community and everything built around this aspect of, I don't want to be challenged, I don't want to be corrected, I don't want to do any of that because I'm at the center of it. There's sensual love, there's selfish love. But then the Bible speaks of a third category, sacrificial love. And this says something completely different than the other two. Sacrificial love says, what can I do for you? You see, in sacrificial love, Jesus is king. So really, primarily, you only have three views of this, and something is dominating each one of those views. Either your emotions and your feelings, either you or Jesus. And what's so captivating about the biblical view of love is I believe it's what every great story has borrowed from the biblical narrative And so even if it's a princess who is trapped in the tall ivory tower and the knight has to slay the dragon and sacrifice himself to go rescue the whole village, we're enamored when we hear of a soldier or somebody who laid down their life to protect other people and especially people that did not deserve it. Why does our heart always sing and jump at moments like that? I believe it's because it's the narrative and the story that we were created for. And when you're moving in all cylinders and functioning in this sacrificial love, here's the reason why we're afraid of sacrificial love. Because if we say that the dominant narrative of our life is what can I do for you, you're afraid that you won't get it in return. Or that if you give it, what you'll get in return is hurt and you'll be betrayed. But in the sacrificial view of love, you have to pull from something else. See, the other two views you're pulling from within yourself, but the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial view of love says there's something else that you can pull from to love other people. And that's the biblical narrative. Now enter 1 John In chapters 4 and 5, John uses the word love 36 times. Now listen, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. Um, When you're reading your Bible and you read 1 John 4 and 5, and you go, man, this seems like they're saying love a lot. They're probably trying to tell us something about love, okay? Right? So if love is the predominant theme in chapters 4 and 5, here's a question. What should be the main theme of my sermon? Isn't it crazy that the main theme of the text should be the main theme of the sermon? So listen, here's the thesis and the big idea today. It's this. Christmas shows us that love flows from God through the cross and to people. Love flows from God as the source through the cross as the sacrifice and to people as to be shown. So the first thing that we see, that's the one thing we're going to break that down into three points. We're going to bust this down like Legos, and we're going to pound one nail today. You might not agree with the sermon today, but you're not going to leave going, I don't know what he said, okay? So the first thing that we see is this, is that love flows from God. Jump up and look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's just crazy how it's right there in black and white, right? John is making a profound statement. John says, when when you define love, you have to have a source for that. So so even if you're a non-Christian in here, or even if you're one of those people who just always disagree with anything everybody ever says at all, all the time, because you're that guy on Facebook, okay? Right, I've unfriended you a long time ago, bro, all right? One thing that you can't deny is truth, though people still try to do it, and it's amazing when they do. When you define love, you must have a source. Now, oftentimes, non-Christians say that Christians are arrogant to say that we know what truth is as defined in the Word of God. That is wrong. Because the follow-up statement is for you as a non-believer is for you to tell me how you define truth because as christians we point to something outside of us that we stand under a authority we confess that we are not the authority you see i would argue to say that christianity has the most humble view of truth and for topics like love because we point outside of ourselves and say listen i can't define it i'm not the source of love and john says the source for us is is from God. That love is from God. What I love about this is our society has a lot of definitions about it, and they point to many different sources. I love the story of the famous umpire Bill Clem. Uh, Bill Clem was famous in Major League Baseball for his flashy moves and many stories and all of those type of things for umpiring a game. But there's a story, and I've told it before, of a young rookie catcher who um, was catching in a game that Bill Clem was umpiring. And catchers sometimes, if you played baseball, and if you were a catcher, I'm going to give one of your secrets away. All right? So sometimes when you catch it, and if it's a ball, you try to move it into the strike zone before the umpire sees it. Okay? So it might be out here, but you always bring it back into the strike zone. And so the catcher kept doing that, and Bill Clem did not give a call. And the catcher turned around and said, What was it, ump? And Bill Clem took off his mask and said, it's nothing till I call it, rookie. That's a, good, you know, that's a good check of authority. What was he exuding? Why did Bill say that? It's nothing till I call it. Because the umpire carries the authority to make the call. It's not a ball and it's not a strike until the umpire declares what it is. The same is with love. Love is, is from God. God defines and declares what love is. So this is difficult for us because we want to change what it is. And I heard one preacher say it this way and and I'll relay it to you. God has asked us to be his messengers, not his editors. Are you following with what I'm saying? We are God's messengers. We're the mailman. How angry would you be at this time of year if you got a Christmas card in the mail and it had already been opened and you saw it from your family and there were black lines through it and this was marked out and all of that and the mailman said, you know, I just looked at that card and I thought, I don't like the way this makes me feel. It's not a good message, it's a bad day today. I'm delivering mess, you know, packages till 10 o'clock tonight. I needed something to really get me going. And I didn't like the way this looked. And I thought, oh, this could be misinterpreted. Um, and so, you know, I took a Sharpie and I marked that out. And so we laugh at that. But what kind of Bible verses do you post on your social media? What's the popular thing? What's the oftentimes, listen, our sin is so ingrained in us at times that we are so selfish that we will gravitate to only what we think we love rather than what love actually is. Love is from God. But then look at the next thing that John says. It's not just from God, but that verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Interesting. Love is from God, so John is not only saying that love is what God does, but love is, God is love, so love is who God is. Now, this is probably one of the most popular Bible verses in all of the Bible, and it's funny because it's three words in an entire, you know, context of Bible, but if God is love, what does that mean? Well, Here's one of the things that we have to do when we read the Bible. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. That means that when we run across a Bible... Listen, I'm going to teach you something now. I'm I'm less preachy. I'm more teachy right now. When we see a description of God, we should go back through the rest of the Bible and see if there are other descriptions of God. So yes, God is love. But what are some other characteristics of God? Well, God is love, 1 John four 8. We've seen that. That's pretty clear. How about Psalm 18.30? God is perfect. Perfect. Well, that's good, because if God is love and he's perfect, then his love is probably perfect too, right? Okay, that's good. How about Psalm 56? God is just. Uh-oh. How do, how do you do that? How are you love? How are you perfect? Perfect. And then how are you just? One of the most frequent things in the Psalms is impeccatory Psalms, which is talking about the justice and the vengeance of God. Oh, no. How do we do that? Well, maybe this next one will help us. Uh, Revelation 4.8, God is holy. Uh, uh Uh-oh. That's actually what it says, that the angels are around the throne and in the throne room. And one of the things that the angels call back to each other which is interesting they sing it to each other that god is holy 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 it's called the trihagion and when you repeat something in it three times it's the perfect definition of something so god is holy and he radiates holiness which means perfect standard separate from something and then i love this i threw this in cuz i just thought it was great habakkuk 3:4 god is glorious glorious You say, Jason, what are you you trying to show me? Well, a couple of years ago, uh, we had a family dinner at Colton's. And so we were eating. And by the way, can we bring the honey butter back? All right. Don't put the butter and the honey on the table and make me do it, man. Come on. I need the honey. butter anyway, that's just a soapbox. It's different. Okay. Squirrel. All right. Um, Well, we were having family dinner there at Colton's. And uh, I ordered a pasta, and I asked the the young lady, I said, hey, I like spicy stuff. Do you think that they could throw some peppers in or something like that? And she was like, awesome, yeah, I'll see what they can do. Brought it, smelled great, that was awesome. Didn't see a lot of peppers, but there were some in there. And so I started to eat this pasta. And then I began to sweat. (laughs) And then I began to weep. And I said, what did they put in this? And she said, well, he didn't have a lot of peppers back there, but he had cayenne pepper. And so he threw that in. And listen, it was like they put pasta in a bowl and sprayed it with mace. (laughs) And I was just, I was, and I could not for like a day, for a day after, I could not taste anything else (laughs) other than the cayenne pepper that was in that Colton's pasta. Now, listen, I'm going somewhere with this. There was one ingredient that was elevated and dominated the food which ruined everything else. The reason why we worship God and He is God and we are not is because He alone is able to carry the characteristics of love, perfection, holiness, and justice equally. Equally. You see, when we magnify one characteristic of God, you by default are minimizing the other characteristics of God. And so how does all of this live and join together? Understand this. Love does not completely define God, but God completely defines love. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Love is not the only thing that defines God, but God alone defines love. Love comes from God. Well, then, how does He define it? What should we do and what should we look at to understand love? Love flows from God. And the second thing is this love flows through the cross. Through the cross. It's right there in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. John's going to give us three characteristics of what love is. Right, And I'm going to break this down for us as to sort of boots on the ground to be application as to this. So love is from God, and it flows through the cross. What do we see when we look to the cross of Christ for love? The first thing is this, that love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. That comes from that he was sent to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word, but so is mayonnaise, and we still use it every day. Propitiation means to put in front of. We just sang it. The song that the worship team wrote, God's wrath on the Savior and His mercy on me. That to understand how God satisfied the justice and the perfection of His standard was that He put Himself in the place of the guilty. That He sacrificed Himself. Now, let's bridge the application from theology to your life. That means that any relationship of any standard and any significance in your life will require sacrifice. It will require sacrifice, whether that's time, whether that's preferences, whether that's joy to some degree. And for some reason, in this day and age, we avoid sacrifice. We think that sacrifice takes us From Our joy that that's not joyous to lay something down, but rather the scriptures correct us and say sacrifice doesn't take you from your joy. It takes you to it. The road to joy to rejoice the road to light the candle of joy is a road paved with sacrifice. That's the whole purpose that love is sacrificial. But the second thing that we see is this, is that love is the initiator. Oh, this is good. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. (laughs) Do I need to read it again? I'll read it again. That's okay. Not that we have loved God, parentheses, first, but that he loved us first. This is unbelievable. The scriptures would go on to teach that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why is love the initiator? Well, I'll let Romans chapter 2 verse 4 speak for itself. Do you presume or assume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you know what Paul is saying here? Yeah, some of you guys who are like grace, 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 extreme grace, great radical grace, sweet great grace, great. I love grace. I think grace is great. I want grace all day long, every morning, all the time, every second, every breath that I take, I want grace. But what Paul says is don't play around with God's grace. Grace is not just pardon from sin. Grace is power to not sin. And those of you who keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow and I'll do it the next day, do not assume on the patience and forbearance of God because not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, that He is so good and that He is so great And that he is so kind that the very breath that you take should lead you to go, I don't even deserve that. Why am I walking down this path? Now, we love that. We love Romans 2, 4. That's good. But now let's bridge that to your relationships. That means the initiator in your relationships is not For them to get their act together and clean it up. And when they apologize, then the relationship will be right. But rather, not that we have loved him first. But that he pursued us and loved us. So that means that grace... And now, I'm not meaning ignorance. I'm not meaning that I was hurt and that I was betrayed. But yet, that forgiveness flows from sacrifice. Interesting, the only way that you can forgive is to sacrifice and absorb something. And then that love and that forgiveness is what initiates the relationship. So if we work on a contractual basis in our relationships, which means that our spouse or our kids or people around us have to earn our love, that is the opposite of the gospel. Because love is the initiator. And then the last thing that we see is this, that love is active. Active. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. In this is love. You can look to something to see love. That God did not just say what love was, but that God showed what love was. Now, what I love is we can go to the deep theologians of the late 80s and early 90s, known as DC Talk, that love is a verb. You know what I'm saying, right? Down with the DC Talk, that love has action produced behind it. Now, for some of you, this is what your friends and family keep saying to you. And you keep, you're like, nobody trusts me, nobody gives me a chance, nobody, poor me all the time, blah, blah, blah. Because you talk a lot and you show no fruit from your speech. So do not become the victim and say, everybody in my life is against me and my mom and dad just don't understand. They just don't give me a chance. Why can't I take the car out? Because you can't clean your room. You can't pick up your dinner plate from the table and put it in the trash. And you want me to give you an automobile? What are you, sick in the head? Like, I mean, goodness gracious. But you got to give me the chance. You got to, and then the relationships, you cheat over and over and you lie. And I deleted this. And then there's the secret stuff. And then all of this. And then why are we always fighting all the time? And why are we? Because you're a liar. And you say a lot. And the way that I see that you are presuming and assuming on the grace of God is that each one of these conflicting moments when God is trying to get your attention, you view it as everybody's against you rather than, this is an opportunity for me to follow through with the promises that I've made in the past. That love is active. And there's a great question in Christianity. What do we turn to to see the holiness of God? And what do we turn to to see the love of God? And the answer for us as Christians is Calvary, it is the cross. How much does God hate sin? Look there. But at the same time, how much does God love you? Look there. That love comes from God, that he's the source. It flows through the cross, but then it has a destination. And the destination is to people, that it's to the world. Isn't it interesting that when you drop down to verse 11, there's all this theology, there's all of this sacrifice, there's all this atonement, there's all this big language. And then verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Don't you love that the Bible never gives you the opportunity to separate your knowledge of God and your love of people? It's literally the same verses that follow each other. Here's what love is from God, here's what it means to you, and here's how you show it to the people around you in your life. So listen, we are not only meant to receive God's love, we are meant to reflect God's love. And that's what's difficult. And I get it. It's Christmas. I've been in this game for a long time. This brings up more emotions and anxiety and the family and, the spa and all of those things coordinating with the kids and the stepdad and all that. This is difficult time of year. I understand that. But it's also an opportunity for us to practice what we preach. And many Christians are like the Dead Sea. You know about the Dead Sea? Nothing grows. Tons of salt everywhere. And then if you go on vacation there, apparently the thing to do is to take a picture of you floating, reading. That's like the thing to do, right? Because the buoyancy of the salt. Do you know why nothing grows there and it's just flooded with salt? There's no outlet. The Dead Sea only receives ocean water. It has no outlet to exit that ocean water to bring fresh water in. That's why nothing can live there. Are you following with the illustration that if you are a black hole only receiving and getting and getting, but there is no outlet of God's love in your life, you will sabotage and kill every relationship that you have. Here's a great way to ruin your marriage before it ever starts, to ruin any relationship, is to place all the expectations on the other person and for them to fulfill everything for you. And nothing will live in that environment. The time that God worked and ordained for us to come here to Westside, I was reading a book by by Francis Schaeffer. It was in a collection and volume. Francis Schaefer, you can go see at Covenant Theological Seminary. They have the Schaefer lectures every year. But it was a volume of his collected works, and in one of the works was the marks of a Christian. And what he said that in an age of um, religious hostility and people not being receptive to the message of Christianity, that there is one thing that will outlast any argument, any charity, or anything any Christian could ever do, and that's to love one another. Francis Schaeffer says these words. If an individual Christian does not show love toward another true Christian, the world has a right to judge that he or she is not a Christian. What Jesus is stating by love one another, which is the more cutting, much more profound concept than anything, is that we cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son, that Jesus' claims are true, and that Christianity is true unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians. Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. This is the whole point. The world is going to judge whether Jesus has been sent by the Father on the basis of something That is open to observation. Namely, the love for a Christian and a Christian. What he's saying in a nutshell is, people who don't love Christ, look at people who claim to love Christ and see how selfish and pitiful and mean-spirited that they are and go, I want nothing to do with that Christ. Why would I want to join that? but rather the love and the sacrifice in this day and age when it's a world of climb the ladder, get yours, stomp on them, you're at the center for a group of people to love each other, whether whatever socioeconomic background, whatever color of their skin, whatever any of that is, and that Jesus is at the center of that. So as we close, I want to have a couple application questions for you. I'm going to call it the love test. For us to claim, actually, if love is from God, if it flows through the cross, and if it's for people, how do I gauge where I'm at? Because, listen, look up here. If you, aren't, if you are a Christian, and you aren't the most loving person that a non-Christian knows, that's a fail. That's a fail. By this, they will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. So the first question is this. Are the majority of my relationships based upon what other people can do for me? Ask your friends. Give them a call, shoot them a text message today and say, Hey, anytime that I contact you, is it primarily just something that you can do for me? Hey, I need you to do Hey, can I do this? Hey, can I, is that primarily what the contact is? Because if so, man, I'm so sorry. Because that's not biblical love. That's, that's selfish love. The second question is this. Do I desire to be more right rather than more loving? That's tough. Now listen, I'm not saying that we sacrifice truth for love. But as 1 Corinthians 13 says, that love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. But do you want to make your point all the time or do you want to make a difference? Because you can't do both. And oftentimes expressing love in the moment is the most right thing that you can actually do. And then the third question is this. When is the last time I let loving someone interrupt my schedule? I love that. That you had the plans for the day, and that you did this, and husbands, you, 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 you had the date, and then you realized your wife, and then the kids, and then you were like, you know what, I'll take the kids today, and then you can... Or, I know that my friend or my family member and I had the plans this afternoon, I was gonna finish the Christmas show, I was gonna do that, but I, I just think they just need somebody to sit next to them today. When's the last time you let that happen? It's not all about you, but it's moments like that when love breaks through the darkness that there's still hope in the world. Love comes from God, flows through the cross, and goes to people. There's a story told of a young country preacher. And it was his third Sunday at the church and he preached a sermon on love and they were ooh and ah oh, we got this new guy this is great and then the next Sunday he preached the same sermon on love and they were like oh, okay you know he's new he's young all right then the third Sunday he preached the same sermon on love finally a deacon we got to talk to this guy we got, we got problems here we got to the deacon came up and said hey that's the same so you preach the same sermon three weeks in a row and the young preacher looked at the deacon and said correct have you obeyed it because I will start preaching a new sermon when you've obeyed the last one love is from God through the cross and two people let us love one another West Side, stand on your feet and we're going to read Jesus' words out loud together, found in John 15. West Side, lift your voices and read this out loud. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we pray that our definition of love would be defined by you. We pray that the demonstration of love that we turn to would be Calvary. And we pray that the application of love would be in our lives and our love for one another. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And may we be reminded that Christmas shows us that love comes from you, that it came down. That it was demonstrated at the cross. And that the Christmas message continues when we love each other. Have your way with us in this place. We pray this all in
0: the holy and in the perfect name of Jesus Christ. Amen.